This is Still Rowing, a podcast where members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints share their authentic stories of struggle and triumph on their journey of discipleship, and just why they are choosing faith in the restored Church of Jesus Christ. David Butler is, by day, a college religious educator sharing his love for the scriptures and his belief that there is a power for good innate in every human soul. By night, he is a fort builder, waffle maker, sports coach, and storyteller for his six favorite little people, also known as his children. He and his wife, Jenny, live with their family amid the snow-capped peaks of the Mountain West, but they often dream of a beach house on a sunny shore somewhere. David is the author of many religious books, including Ites, an illustrated guide to the people in the Book of Mormon, the Peter Potential, and some of his latest, Redeemer, Spirit, and Almighty. And you also might know him by his uh, YouTube channel, Don't Miss This. So he's kind of a rock star, basically. (laughs) So welcome to the Still Rowing Podcast. I'm Tara McCausland, and welcome, David. So glad you're here. Thank you. I'm super happy to be here. Thanks for the invitation. So I have to tell our listeners, David actually served in South Korea, not with my husband, but I believe you were his zone leader. But he also had mentioned how just fun and and strong in the gospel you were. So oh, that's that is nice of him. partly why I was able to, <laughs> to get David on this podcast because he's a busy guy. Um, but this is a part of our Anchors of Faith series. And we will be talking about the nature of the Godhead today. And for those who have served missions, this was often the first topic, right? That we would talk to people about. Yeah. Oh, for sure. It was the first discussion. uh, Obviously, it depends on the people, right? Right, right. uh, I guess default would be if you're like, all right, where would we start square one? This would for sure be square one. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So my first question is, why is understanding the true nature of the Godhead so foundational to our testimony? Well, I, I mean, I actually think like it is the, the foundation, right? Where it's like even, even somebody who um, grows up um, in a household of faith uh, might be a little bit confused by that too, because they will, who knows when they start understanding, right? When do they start you know, remembering what it is that they're learning and everything. What if their very first lesson is about, you know, tithing and then their next lesson is about um, word of wisdom or something like that. Then all of a sudden they think that, you know, their beliefs are a, a bunch of rules instead of relationships. And so, I mean, just at the, the heart and soul of, of, of our faith story is relationship. Um, relationship with God and relationship with others. And, and, and obviously we're talking about, and and there's a lot of overlap between those, I would say. Um, There's a lot of people who I think would say, I, I find God or I feel God's love in, in the relationship um, that I have with other people. So there's definitely some overlap there, but I mean, I, I just, it is, that's, uh, that's our, I mean, that's it. That's the, that's the heart and soul of, everything we're about is that we're children of, of God. There's a, there is a living, loving God in heaven, um, a father and a mother in our particular theology, um, their saving son, 
Jesus and then the Holy Spirit. And um, they are just heaven bent on creating a beautiful life for us. Like that, it's just, it's a, it's, it's a perpetual Christmas morning. It is, a, you know, it's, it's just a, it's just heavenly parents who just are trying to create life and light and opportunity for their children. You know, it's just um, like, if you asked any parents, like, what's your, what's your purpose? That would be the same answer. They're just like, Oh, just to help my kids like grow up and learn and, and, and be able to experience uh, life and relationships and, and um, opportunity and, and, and all of those things. Like, it's just, you know, the, the government of the universe is a family hmm. and the thrill of life is living in relationship in that family. And so it really is like, I, I can't think of anything else more central or everything else is like minuscule compared Mm-hmm. you know, to our relationship with God. Well, I love that, that the government of the universe is, is that family relationship. I've never thought about it that way. And I've noticed that people who struggle with faith, they may come out with other questions and concerns, history related, et cetera. But I think oftentimes it boils down to not fully understanding and trusting God. Right. And I think without knowing his character, how can we trust him? I do love this topic. It's so foundational, as you said, it, it's the heart and soul of our religion. And so I'm really grateful uh, that you'll take the time to, to teach us more about each member of the Godhead today. And so we're, we're actually going to start with the Holy Ghost. When it comes to the Holy Ghost, what do we often get wrong or perhaps misunderstand about him? I could speak for myself in saying that my whole growing up, I never considered the Holy Ghost as a person. And part of that is in his title. You know, when you have the title of the father and the son, those are relational terms. Like everybody knows what a father is. Everybody knows what a son is. You know, they've seen it, experienced it, read about it, movies, you know, like everybody can understand like, oh yeah, for sure. Fathers and sons and brothers all have relationships, right? Daughters and mothers and, but ghosts, nobody. <laughs> I <laughs> mean, yeah. If you, like it's not the, it's not the warmest, you know, title. Right. <laughs> um, so um, I think at the, at the, you know, offset, it's sort of just like this mysterious, there's a mysteriousness there. Um, and I, I actually like have, have like really um, things have changed a lot in my own heart uh, when I've just considered the Holy ghost, not as an it, um, but as a, as a person, as a he. And, and when we say that, like nobody ever said to me growing up, the Holy ghost loves you. And I don't know who's going to keep saying that, but it's true. And, and he's kind and compassionate and good like the father and the son are. And, and he's just, if the father and the son were willing to give all that they are and have um, on Calvary's cross for the eternal life of mankind, you would expect the same character attributes out of the Holy ghost as well, that he's for you. Um, 
I feel like a lot of times, like we're always talking about don't offend the Holy Ghost. Like he's so quick to want to leave and he's so sensitive and, and he might be very, very sensitive um, and, and for sure is holy. But I, I don't think that he is um, quick to try and walk away. Like he's anxious to um, help on our journey and to, and to, you know, and bring the presence of the father and the son, you know, in, you know, in a, in a way that might be difficult to understand. But um, I just think that he is just as good and he's an ally and, and an advocate. Um, and I, I, I've just thinking about that recently has um, just, I felt refined my own relationship there and, and made me just, I don't know, I feel, I feel more secure in my life. I feel mm -hmm. more watched over, you know, um, mm -hmm. when I, when I think about, I mean, I, I had my, I had a grandfather that passed away a couple years ago. And it, when I think about him guiding me along and, and um, caring about me and watching over me, that's really tender to me and it's strengthening to me. So to, feel that same way about the Holy ghost is, is, um, is really profound to this. Like when he becomes a person, almost like a grandfather figure, um, all of a sudden I am drawn to him. I am interested in what he has to say. I, I listen closer and, and I, and I want to be, um, you know, guided more and have his presence more because of that, you know, relationship that is possible. Well, I love that idea that the Holy Ghost is just as invested as the rest of the Godhead. I agree with you that the term Holy Ghost isn't as as warm as or as understandable as the Father and the Son, but He is our brother. Yeah, He is our spirit brother, and He wants us home as much as our heavenly parents and the Savior do. And so, yeah, I love I love that kind of switch in paradigm and. How I think, as you had suggested, when we make him a real person, uh, we want him to be with us more. And of course, he's a member of the Godhead. Um, I think sometimes we dumb that down a little bit, not recognizing that is a really, really big deal to have yeah. a member of the Godhead with us, to have that spirit with us. So why would you say is his companionship worth working for, worth really sacrificing for? Oh, I, I think um, for m maybe just the, the two things that you just clarified. One, because he's for us. Like, why would you not want somebody in your life who has the wisdom of God and the power of God, um, who is just interested and invested in helping you to progress and grow and live and love life? Like, I, that, that that's the kind of that's he's the exact kind of friend that you would want um once you got if you if you don't want relationship with him it's like oh then you just haven't met him yet um mm -hmm. because uh, of who he is um and and then you know just jumping off of that is the idea of um he is i love um sister dalton said to me one time that um, having the spirit with you is, um, is having, um, God within whispering distance. Um, mm. and that is just to, to live life with God feeling so close 
is, um, I mean, I guess you, if you want to live life differently, of course you can, but I can't understand why somebody would, <laughs> you know, if they saw, if they saw them, God and Jesus and the Holy Ghost is like vindictive and out to get me type of person. I can see why someone would want to avoid them. But once you realize what their true nature actually is, I think it, it, you're drawn to want to do life with them. Hmm. I love it. And I love that. But Sister Dalton said, God within whispering distance when we have the Holy Ghost with us. And that actually brings me to my next question, because we, we often talk about the fact that the Holy Ghost speaks to us in this still small voice, which I'll be frank, sometimes is really frustrating to me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a very busy person. I'm a doer. And to, to stop and to get quiet enough to, to hear that voice can be challenging for me. So why do you think that is? Why, why doesn't he communicate in more obvious ways? And maybe as a follow-up question, what has helped you learn how to recognize when he is speaking to you? Maybe most often he speaks, you know, in a, in a quiet tone and a whispering tone. And um, maybe that, maybe um, I think he can speak louder and more direct. I mean, a lot of us have been warned pretty sternly and pretty quickly and pretty um, intensely. Um, by the Holy Spirit, but I think part of it is a um, might be about the 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 growing process that He doesn't necessarily want to be a, a genie or a vending machine. Let me tell you what to do really easily and quickly. But rather, there is something exalting about thinking and wondering and listening and choosing and. Um, um, backtracking and all of those things. Like uh, the journey is too important. And what we become on the journey is, is too important. This isn't a just, you know, follow his directions, but I think they want us to actually live life and experience just the richness of, of life. And, and, and it seems that it, that um, this is just me wondering out loud that the spirit just being so gentle and quiet leads to, you know, moments that are a little bit more exalting, quieter, mm -hmm. listening, feeling through type of experiences, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and that maybe that's why I, um, or maybe the world is so loud <laughs> that he is quiet in comparison to how loud the world is, you know, maybe he talks in a normal size voice, but because we live in such a noisy, loud world, um, it is quieter in comparison to, to our surroundings. I really like that metaphor that he's not a vending machine. And of course we, if we really understand the plan, we know that we are here to, to learn and to progress and we have to flex some muscles <laughs> to, yeah. to grow. And I've often thought if he was too loud too often, then that would be in the face of agency. If it was too obvious, then, then I guess it, it would impact our ability to choose based on faith and a desire to believe because he is quiet. 
we have to work for it, for that communication. And so, yeah, I really, I really love, again, that metaphor of he is not a genie. He is not a vending machine, but if, if we are willing to make space for him in the noise of the world, we can find a place away. We can have an exalted moment with the quiet, but powerful member of the Godhead who Mm. is on our side. Yeah. So really cool. Well, moving on, we are in coming into Christmas time. And I think that's probably for many of us, our favorite holiday. Why is Jesus the gift that keeps on giving? I think because nobody has quite mined like the depth of his goodness and character. And um, the, um, when we say that he is an advocate, that he's a shepherd, that he's um, the almighty Jehovah, that he is the redeemer and the savior, that is in all kinds of circumstances across all cultures and all time periods. And so, um, he'll continually be available um, to you as a teenager, to you as a, a, um, a poor um, college student, to you um, when you first get married, to you when you go through a divorce, um, when you lose a parent, um, when you face an addiction, everything that life will throw at you, like he will be there in all of those individual moments. And he is not a savior or a redeemer on judgment day only, although he is, but along the way. And as your day changes and as your circumstances change and as new obstacles come in your way, he'll be there in those places and moments. And and so um, he'll never stop surprising us um, with his presence and, and his goodness and his, his grace and his companionship. Like, so you can always, your day tomorrow is going to be so different than today. And, and he'll be there for your tomorrow as uniquely and um, as present as he is on this day. You know, one thing that I have loved so much about listening to you and Emily on Don't Miss This is one thing that you you both pound is that Jesus will meet us where we are at because he gets us like no one else. He's felt what we have felt. There is so much comfort in that for me. I don't have to win his love. He's already bought and paid for me. He, he truly is our advocate. And as I get older, I'm recognizing, gosh, I'm so grateful for that because in a world that's always just trying to beat you down, <laughs> we need an advocate in our corner. So if you were to fill in the blank, a world without Jesus would be empty. I think um, in the sense of like, he's life and light to me. And so everything that you enjoy about life, I don't think there just would be no sparkle to anything. And uh, so that's why I would choose that word. Hmm. Perpetual Christmas, right? If we really get what Jesus (laughs) has done for us, that he is the good news. He is what makes Christmas such a wonderful time of year. Yes, yes, yes. In scripture, uh, Jesus was quoted saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. 
What does that scripture have to do with the phrase straight and narrow gate? Well, I, I mean, I think the, they could be synonyms with each other. I wouldn't go so far as to tell Jesus what he meant, but they, yeah. can, <laughs> you know, um, they can be synonyms with each other in saying where, where he's saying like, I, um, there, there is actually only one savior and it's me. And there are all these other ways that you could try and overcome your problems and, and deal with sin and death and, and, um, and people try all of the different ways that they can, and they, they can't, they cannot solve them, um, the way he can, like, like I, he's just saying like, I am the one who has the keys of death and hell. Like I overcame it. So I'm the only one with the power to be able to really help you with the actual problem that you have. So, and in a way, it's, it's kind of contrary because you would say his arms are so wide and his, his embrace is so welcoming and open. But when it calls it narrow, it's just like, oh, but there is actually only one keeper of the gate. Like there aren't all these other options. They'll eventually fail, fail you. If family is your God, it will fail you. If money is your God, it will fail you. If success is your God, if the, if the success of your children is your God, if that's where you get your worth from any of those things, they eventually will fail you. There's only one. And, and there's so many options. Um, and I think that's what it's talking about. The other way is wide, you know, of all the options of ways that you could look for your worth. And in the end, there is only one. But when you see him and you get there, you will actually find out how wide and open he is. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's sort of, it seems a little contrary, but, um, but not once you explore it a little bit. When we hear that statement, the straight and narrow gate, it feels so uh, exclusive. Yeah. Like only, yeah. only a few are welcome here. And yet, again, as, as I have come to learn more about Christ and his his true character of just the depth and the breadth of his love for us. Everyone is welcome through that gate, but like you said, it has to go through him. And that's why the gate is so narrow. Right. So I I love that. That's just so powerful. He is the way he's the one that, that will bring us home ultimately. Right. Right. Now, one question that I have had, at times in my life. And I know that others have had this same question, the whole Jehovah versus Jesus predicament. (laughs) We know Jehovah is the pre-mortal Jesus. How do we reconcile this incredibly merciful, loving Lord that we see in the new Testament and what some might feel like is this harsh fire and brimstone God of the old Testament. Well, I think the best way to probably reconcile that is um, to consider what is, when Jesus comes to the world, he comes to the world and, and says that he is the express image of the Father, right? That he is the, he is the love of God personified. And, and mostly and most completely, he's the love of God personified when he is on the cross like that is the image 
of what God is like in its in its most revealed form. Um, and Hebrews, um, Paul or whoever writes Hebrews says, in times past, God revealed himself and his character through prophets. And it was always a little muddied, but in Jesus, his like actual expression is revealed. And so um, I will say with everybody else that it is, there are times in the Old Testament when you read it and you are just like, okay, that is, that is, that doesn't feel, feel right. It doesn't fit right. Um, especially when you compare it to the image of Jesus on the cross, you know, where you're like, hold on, the God I know is self-sacrificing and the God I know forgives um, in moments of intense torture and pain. He's not vindictive. He doesn't lash out on the hill. Um, and so that's our best picture and image of what God is like. So I am not saying I can solve all of the problems in the Old Testament that we may come across, but there is a, a Bible scholar that um, I was reading something from him, and he actually takes an approach to the Old Testament and calls it having cross vision, where when you watch what happens in the Old Testament, you have to remember that you know the actual and best character and picture and image of God. Like, you know what he is like. So when you see something contrary to that in the Old Testament, it means you are missing a vital piece of information. Like there is something about it that you are not getting or understanding. Um, an analogy that this man uses that I really like is he talks about his own wife that he's been married to for 20, 30 years. And he says, what if I saw her on the, um, you know, downtown somewhere across a couple lanes of traffic? And I saw her um, approach a homeless man and, and kick over his bucket of money and get in a yelling match with him, you know, flip his hat off his head and storm off. And he says, I know what my wife is like. Like we have lived with each other for 20, 30 years. And when I see that scene, it looks like she is not the person I know. So his conclusion is one, either I've been wrong about her all along and she really is this nasty lady and has been and has this mean part of her, or there is something about that story that I don't understand. And his approach with his wife is going to be assume the best. There obviously something happened there. Maybe she's a part of a TV show and she didn't tell him <laughs> acting out a scene or, you know, I don't know what the, I don't know what the answer is, but when it doesn't reconcile with the best image of God that we have, you know, the best description of his love and character, it just means that we are not understanding what is happening. Like hmm. some, we're, we're missing, we're missing something. In it. And, and there's lots of approaches that people take, you know, to try and um, reconcile that. I think the best approach probably to take is these, the, the scriptures are written in a totally different time period and, and place. It is an absolute foreign country to us, the style that they're writing in, um, the way they understood the world, 
you know? And so Mm -hmm. we have such a fuzzy, fuzzy lens that we're reading the stories through that I'm certain that we are getting some things. We are making some assumptions about what we read, or perhaps even the people writing it were making some assumptions about God also. That's just a maybe. I don't know. But what I do know is that who he is, is best manifested in the life and particularly the sacrificial death of Jesus. And so I know that's what he is like. And so I want to view everything that he is doing through that kind of lens and and vision. When I consider people around me who have made some pretty grave mistakes, but through the atonement of Jesus Christ, they have been able to repent and find their way back into the church, into a better life. And I know that's only been possible because of a loving savior. So my experience tells me that the God that is real is this, this God of love and mercy and outstretched arms. And so my feeling has been God is good and that he is quick to forgive and wants me to repent and wants to make amends. Yeah, <laughs> he's he's yeah. not looking for an opportunity to punish me, essentially. Right. There's so, you would need the wisdom of heaven to sort this out. Yeah, it's um, a hard one. Yeah, but there is also a lot of love in in some justice. If, if, um, if there was a genocide that, w- that occurred, you know, in, in some village in the Philippines, um, just as a random example, um, and God just brushed it under the rug and said, well, you know, let's just forget about that. And then that would not be very loving. That would not show very much value to the life that was lost either. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so there is, there is um, something to be said about that as well. But I, I just think I, when I just looked to Jesus on the cross as the image of who God best is that I can currently understand. And I want to view all things, you know, understanding that's his best character in nature. And you are going to describe God incorrectly. I'm going to describe God incorrectly. And I also think prophets are going to describe him incorrectly or incompletely. They are going to manifest parts of his character, but not all of it. And so the ancient writers through the lens of an ancient world and customs, and they are products of their world for sure, are depicting God the best way that they know how to a people who live in that same tribal warrior God customs. You know, they, they, that's who they're writing to. Um, they were not writing to like a future generation necessarily, but so I think they are going to understand him and view him in a, in a different way. And so I just think we have to have a lot of grace with this. And I like what you said, that it's just like, look to your own experience, you know, mm-hmm. do you mm-hmm. know a God who does what you're accusing him of doing? Like, is that, is that, has that been your personal experience is what I would ask somebody if they get bothered by, which they should, there are some <laughs> passages in the old Testament that, that you should be bothered by. Um, but when you're bothered by it, I would say like, okay, Let's talk about, you know, your experience. And let's talk about Jesus on Calvary's hill. You know, do those all match up? Hmm. 
I love it. We could probably go on and on about this particular topic, <laughs> but I think we've covered it well. So hopefully that answers some of our listeners' questions, if that has ever been a concern. But moving on to the final member of the Godhead, our Heavenly Father. I found this quote, I'd heard this before, um, but I felt like it was a good way to start this conversation off about Heavenly Father. Joseph Smith said, if men do not comprehend the character of God, they do not comprehend themselves. Could you qualify that statement for us? What, what do you think Joseph meant by that? Oh, um, well, the context of him saying that is the context of the potential of um, people. And so my guess would be, you know, just based off of the context of when he was teaching that would be like, when you, when you look at God, um, you are looking at what you have the potential to become. And if you are, are not seeing that that potential is in you, then you are not actually understanding like who you truly are. Um, you've put a limit on yourself if you are seeing anything else other than that. And I think, so I think that is where, um, that's the intention of, of that teaching is, hey, you have to understand. It, it, it would be like comparing, if you were to study a, uh, like a seed, like a sequoia tree, a redwood tree, those seeds are like, they look like oatmeal flakes, you know, they're just like tiny, um, if you were to look at that and say, okay, tell me everything you understand about a sequoia by looking at that, you would not have very much information. You know, you would just say, oh, it's, it's sort of useless and dumb and, and discardable. You would have to look at the, a sequoia to understand the value of the sequoia seed. Like you need to look at it in its, in its grown and exalted state to then be able to understand. And then now when you look at that seed again, you're like, oh my goodness, there is something so big packed inside of this. And that I think is what Joseph is doing is he's saying, if you want to understand the destiny, the value, the worth potential of a human soul, you have to look to, to the exalted father to be able to like really understand what is packed inside your spiritual DNA. Hmm. So cool. How does understanding God's overarching goal, which, you know, we learn about in Moses 139, which is to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. How does understanding this help us kind of make sense of what we see going on in the world and perhaps also help us understand why he would send us away <laughs> from the comfort of our heavenly home to, to suffer and die? Well, it's interesting because first, first off, we see so little, you know, like we just um, are, when we make an assumption about God or about the world or about people, it is based off of such limited information. So already right off the bat, we are making a big leap when we make an assumption about God based off of the little things that, that we see. I think every issue that we, that people have with the father has to do with what happened in the garden of Eden and the fall of mankind. Like every single one that I can think of is, is rooted in what went on there and what the intention of life on earth is, you know, um, mm -hmm. there's so much about this world that is 
unfair to, and harmful and dangerous. And, and I would say those are results of the fall, not necessarily God who's doing it. Right. Um, there's so many things that you say, like, oh, mortality is difficult. Um, now, there, there seems to be wisdom in God permitting mankind to enter into a fallen world and mortality. There is, there is a purpose that can come about because of the opposition that is here. Um, and, you know, like Lehi teaches and says, like, if, if there is no opposites, then you don't actually have a real experience. Then it's just fake. Then you're just a puppet, you know, unless there's a chance to do evil, there cannot be goodness. Unless there is pain and suffering, there cannot be um, happiness and, and health. Like they only exist because of each other. And so if you eliminate one of them, then you eliminate all of it. And, and, you, and there isn't a, you know, this, this chance to become something more for your soul to be expanded. It just doesn't, it can't happen. Now, there's a lot of like things behind this that we don't understand, but we do start out with his purpose, which is my whole purpose is to help bring about your eternal life. And eternal life is a synonym for the kind of life that God lives. Um, that it is rich and alive and full. And those are all of his purposes. So everything that we see is to that end. Why is there a veil? Oh, I don't know exactly what the psychology of the soul is and why the soul needs a veil. I can work through it and make some guesses, you know? Mm. Um, but I do know that, the I know the why, you know? I just can't like, I can't show you my work. You know, <laughs> I, I just know like the end result is, oh, because he's trying to help bring this about. Um, if he eliminates all heartache from the world, then he takes away all happiness also. And, and if he uh, stops everybody from making choices, then all of a sudden you don't get the benefit of choices anymore. And so... Um, when you understand like the purposes of life here, it just is like, it starts to become, I think a little bit more like, oh, okay. Now there is so much wisdom and, and power in a world that is like this, but God would have never sent us into a world like this, even though it's beneficial. He wouldn't have sent us into this world alone. And so he sent his son and the light of Jesus fills the immensity of space and a constant companionship through the Holy Spirit. And God himself is available and so accessible. And, and so it's not this like good luck. You know? <laughs> this will be, it's not a, this will be really good for you. Although it will be really good for us. We weren't just cut loose um, into this, into this place and into this world. And, and why does he stop some things from happening and allow others? I would never be able to know that. I haven't created a single star or planet. So I don't think I have the understanding or ability to answer that. But sometimes I feel bad that the parent gets blamed for the sin of the child. If there's a murder that happens, I don't blame the parent. 
I blame the person who did it. I feel sad for the father that he is blamed for everything wrong that happens in this world when he's not the one who did it. I don't know if you ever feel like this. Do you ever feel homesick for heaven? Always. (laughs) (laughs) I I'm homesick for, for my heavenly father, for my heavenly mother. And, and yet I think it's really powerful. Like you said, to recognize they didn't just send us here and, and say, yeah, our, our best wishes. And (laughs) if we see again, super, if not too bad, you know, I I'm sure that parting was hard and you're absolutely right. They didn't send us here alone. They sent their son so that each one of us would have every opportunity to repent and, and return if we would so choose. And then the gift of the Holy ghost to have that member of the Godhead who is also rooting for us God can be within whispering distance if we have our brother, the Holy Ghost, with us, if we will live worthy of that gift. And one thing that has always struck me, when Jesus left his disciples, he told them that he would leave them with the Holy Ghost. Essentially, he was saying, you know, this power is even better than having me here with you. Isn't that startling? That he, he would say that. And so as much as sometimes I'm like, oh, if I could just have one hug, you know, that could tide me over for maybe a year. Um, but we have that opportunity to have God so close and awesome quote who I can't even remember who said it, but he said, God will be as close to us as we will have him. Mm. It's my feeling and my testimony as we've been talking about this, that we are loved beyond anything that we can comprehend, that we can trust our heavenly father, our heavenly mother, our brother, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Ghost, that they will do everything in their power to bring us safely home. So I appreciate your testimony and your time again so much, David. And, but before we, we finish, we always have to ask our last question, which is why are you still rowing and choosing faith in Jesus Christ and his restored church? Just because what we started with I value my relationship with God with all with all of them so so much. Like I I don't stay in because I feel like I have to um or because of necessarily the benefits all the relationships I'm in I'm in them because I like them. And I would say that about the Father and the Son and the Spirit like I I like them. Even if they gave me nothing, I actually like them. I like their personalities. I like them as people. I, I, I just like them. But I also like adore them and worship them. And, it's a, and it's, a, uh, it's a beautiful, deep relationship. And it's a push and pull sometimes. And, it's, uh, and that's actually what I, I love so much about it too, that we've learned recently one of the names of Israel is to let God prevail. Um, Another meaning of the word Israel is to wrestle with God. And I love that idea of, you know, this is a real relationship. Like there's input and there is encouragement and there is scolding and there is love and there is all of the things that make, you know, relationships so good. I would always say and think it's a lot easier to leave an organization than it is to cut off 
ties with a person, um, those ties are, are very, very strong for me. Well, thank you again, David. I really appreciate you spending some time with me today. Uh, thank you for letting me. This is so fun. I, I just love, love the conversation so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Still Rowing Podcast. If you would like a little daily motivation to keep rowing, you can find me on Instagram at churchofjesuschrist underscore sr underscore podcast and on Facebook at churchofjesuschristsrpodcast. Also, if you've been enjoying this podcast, if you would go to iTunes and leave us a rating and review, that would help us spread the word about Still Rowing. Thanks again for listening.